Hey, we want to thank you for listening today to a sermon from Edwards Lake Church. And we hope that you recognize the message of God as we open his word together and examine his incredible life-changing teaching. We pray that this message will challenge you, motivate you, or touch you in some way. Let's open the Bible together. Love to hear that. Love to hear the songs we've sung today, too. Uh, Those songs... They, uh, they mean a lot to me, and uh, I appreciate Randy for, for choosing them. Uh, we uh, want to welcome our guests for, and thank you for being here with us today. Uh, we are continuing on in a series that we are doing for the entire year, every week, thank goodness, uh, but you know, kind of here and there as we talk about what it means to be continually devoted, and particularly in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, continually devoted to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayer. And we're spending this month and the next two months talking about what it means to be, wait, we're in May now, this month and next month talking about what it means to be devoted to fellowship and what that term means and what it means for us particularly as Christians. And so we're going to continue on in that thought today, Uh, hopefully be challenged, hopefully Uh, maybe learn a thing or two that we can do better. Uh, I'm going to kind of go on a little bit of a rant here at the beginning of my sermon, and I I don't mean this in any sort of uh, negative way, but I I do think it's important to note because I think it is one of the most damaging things in our world to the concept of fellowship, which is technology. Now, I am not a Luddite. Uh, That big fancy term I came across that basically means someone who is opposed to technology Uh, My children can tell you I spend my fair share of time on the telephone more than I probably should. Uh, I use computers constantly and generally just about every aspect of my work. Uh, I am somebody who is very appreciative of the technology that we have, but I do think that we have in our culture an abuse of technology that is in a lot of ways going to make things very difficult for us. I don't know how many of you have seen the movie WALL-E, uh, Disney movie, but uh, for those of you with young children, that is almost the way I view our culture at this point. At the end of that movie where the world has fallen apart and human race has been saved by going into space, pretty much everybody rides around overweight, sitting in their recliner hover chairs, uh, looking at computer screens instead of looking at each other. And there's one scene where two people are going down the hallway together, and instead of looking at each other, they are having a conversation on their screens instead of actually having a conversation with each other. And I think that is, in a lot of ways, a picture of where we're getting to as a culture, and it's almost become a funny thing to to joke about just how connected we are to our phones. For instance, here's a... Uh, a, a cartoon that says, smartphone, smartphone on a stick, who has the fairest profile pic? I mean, that, that's kind of, we look at our smartphones to give us uh, our, our pride, to give us our accolades, to, to tell us how great we are. Uh, here's a cartoon depicting a man who's yelling at his phone to do all of these things, but in reality, the phone is actually controlling him. And I have found this to be true. I I can't speak of you, but I can speak of myself. 
where my phone dings and I immediately, doesn't matter what else I'm doing, I immediately pick it up. I immediately want to look and see what it is, who's talking to me, who has something for me to see. Uh, how often do you see this kind of scene? Boy in a playground with a soccer ball and everybody else is just sitting on benches looking at their phones. I've seen that in real life. Uh, and that's kind of where we're at or, or a young couple out on a date. And while one girl's looking at the beauty of nature, the other one's looking at their phone. Or whenever somebody needs help, I've always wondered why there's always a video of it. But the truth is that this is the way our world is now. Instead of actually reaching down to grab a hand and pull someone out of danger, we want to videotape it. That's kind of a... We want to digital videoize it. I, I don't know what we would call it these days, right? I mean, we, we do, this is kind of where we're at. Or this sad picture, would you mind if I strap your phone to my forehead so I can pretend you're looking at me when I talk? Ever felt like that? Because this is kind of what you see when you go to a restaurant these days. How many of you have seen this? How many of you have been this? Not as many hands wanted to go up on that second one. And my worry is that that translates into this. Where our relationships have become so digitized, they've become so phone dependent or screen dependent that we spend little time actually building a relationship with each other. And so we have this world where we are disconnected and distant from one another and disengaged from relationship and disinterested in other people and their events and what's happening in their life. And it brings us to feelings of depression and disattachment and defeat. Technology out of control can be dangerous. And I would dare say that it is one of the things that has so adversely affected God's people because very rarely do we actually get together, really enjoy one another anymore, and it becomes difficult to really engage in relationships. This past weekend, I had taken a group of the young people over to Keith Stonehart's house. He had a, a teen get-together, and there was about 50 or 60 teenagers there. I was amazed. I don't know that I saw but maybe one teenager on a, on a device the entire two hours or three hours we were there. I, I was shocked. But I'm going to tell you and kind of tell them myself a little bit and that it w became difficult for me to have a conversation with Keith Stonehart because neither one of us were on our phones, but I knew everything that was going on in his life because of Facebook, and it almost made conversation difficult because there was no ability to small talk anymore because I already knew everything. Have you had that experience with people where you've, you've kind of 
followed them on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or Snapchat or whatever you're using, and you know the details of their life, you know the things that are going on. Keith uh, even has a podcast now that he does with his best friend, and so I've listened to that. So I know the details of that where he gets into some day-to-day life things. And so I mean, literally everything he told me that we talked about, and I was one of the only adults there. Sorry, kids. Nearly everything he told me, I'm like, yep, I already know that. Yep, I already know that. And it felt disingenuous to really kind of act like I didn't, but I didn't want to be like, yeah, you said that before. Yeah, you said that before. So you just, you just kind of stood there in the conversation going, okay. And, and you feel kind of bored in the conversation because there's no new information going in. Now, I, I, I say that, Mostly to say shame on me that I've let a relationship grow so shallow that Facebook and podcasts can replace an actual relationship. But isn't that a problem in our world? And especially among God's people where we see one another uh, back before all of the, the technology stuff kicked in, we see one another probably three, four, five hours a week basis. But we see each other so much more now because of social media, and we kind of know the details of one another's life. So by the time you get past, hey, how you doing, doing fine, there's not much else to talk about. Because you know you don't have time to dig real deep and have a real deep conversation, but you also don't want to have the same conversation you've already had. You've just had it online. And so it's created this problem where, in a lot of ways, we feel like we need to entertain ourselves. We already know the trivial, shallow, simple things about life and one another, and so we don't really dig any deeper into that. Uh, we, we have this dopamine hit. Uh, that, that psychologists talk about where you get that, that little twing or twerd or whatever it is, uh, the sound that your phone makes, and you're like, oh, someone wants to talk to me. And you get this like exhilarated feeling that lasts all of half a second. But we get so connected and dependent on it that we, 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 we almost, I mean, how many of you have ever found yourself, you didn't get a, a, a tone, but you still look it up, look at it just to check? Anyone? Because it becomes an addiction, a literal chemical addiction. We end up needing a hit. And so we'll do what we got to do. It becomes our default to avoid boredom. And it becomes our rescue oftentimes from awkwardness in conversations. Have you ever found yourself in a social situation where you've grown bored with the conversation so you immediately pull out your phone and tune everything else out? I have. You cannot tell me that that is not a hindrance to fellowship. It is. It's become a dangerous thing. One thing I appreciate about camp is you're not allowed to have a phone or a digital device at camp at all. If you're caught with it, it gets taken, you get in trouble. Uh, I love that our camp is so far out in the boondocks that even if you have a digital device, it's probably not going to work anyway. 
It's fantastic to be able to walk away from it. Uh, And it's something we need because we as Americans spend, by statistic, over three hours a day on our phone. That was five years ago, that was the rate. Imagine how much higher it is now. That adds up, three hours a day adds up to over five years of your life that you are staring at a screen for social reasons, not because of work or because of other things. That's dangerous. Technology can be a good thing in moderation. Uh, Again, I'm not a Luddite. I use it quite often. Technology can be helpful when used purposefully. It can be positive when we use it for God's purposes. And honestly, it's a morally neutral tool, but we often let it become a hindrance to devoted fellowship. So now that I I went on my little rant, I want to go real quickly through a few ideas on what we can do to have better fellowship. If we would put down the phone, we would turn off the screen, and we would get together face-to-face in one another's company and have real conversations. Here's what we need to do in those conversations. First, we need to socialize. That involves eating. It involves partnering. This is something we've seen already. It's something that you see all through the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, verse 46, chapter 20, verse 7. You have examples of them gathering together to eat together. They, they ate together day by day in one another's houses, sharing meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. They were people who enjoyed being together. They would eat one another's food. They would have great conversations. And I would imagine, being that they were devoted to the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, and prayer, they also prayed together. They, 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 they ta- worshiped together. They studied and talked about God's word and revelation together. They spent time together. And I think that's important. One of the things that I, I think so just in your face was the problem with this past year is that while we could come together online to listen to a sermon and we could take of the Lord's Supper at home and, and we did the best that we could in a difficult situation, the thing we missed was fellowship. You cannot do that at home. You cannot participate in life together at home. And that's why God gave us each other. And so this kind of social activity, it displays a commonality, a unity that we share, a community that we're a part of, a togetherness, and we as people need to be together. First point. Second point, quickly, is benevolence. This was a big deal in the early church, and it's not something that we talk about a lot, but we probably should talk about more. They would gather together, and they would bring their goods together for the common good of the, of the community. 
They would share their blessings with others. And you see this in Acts 6. You see it over in Philippians chapter 4 where Paul is thanking the Philippians for their generosity and the way that they supported him in the sharing of the gospel. You see it in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 when he talked about coming to Corinth in order to gather up a gift so that he could take it back to the Christian in Jerusalem. It was something that they focused on quite a bit. They were concerned about sharing one another's Good for one another's good, meeting needs. And I'm becoming more and more convinced the more that I study that that wasn't necessarily done in a treasury. We've seen a lot of fighting and bickering and arguing over the years about the Lord's money or the church treasury. Have you heard some of this? I'm going to tell you, I think it was a lot simpler than that. I have no problem with the concept of a treasury. I think it is an expedient way of doing things, and there's nothing wrong with expediency if it is biblical. No problem there. But I'm going to tell you what I think was a lot simpler. I think they gathered together. According to what you read over in 1 Corinthians 16, let's, let's look at that first. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1 through 4. Now, about the collection for the saints talking about the one, the collection they were taking up to take to Jerusalem. Do the same as I instructed the Galatian churches on the first day of the week, each of you is to set something aside and save in keeping with how he is prospering so that no collections will need to be made when I come. When I arrive, I will send with, letter, send with letters those you recommend to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it's suitable for me to go as well, they will travel with me. Not a really simple passage of scripture that people have probably made way too much out of over the years. I'm going to tell you, it, it's as simple as this. The early Christians gathered together on the first day of the week. And when they gathered together, they said, you know what, Chris has been struggling lately. Uh, he let me know this week that, he was, uh, that, that a bill has come in that he doesn't have the money to take care of. Who can help? And Richard might go, I can help. And so Richard and Chris get together, and Richard makes sure Chris is taken care of. And they would do that week after week after week. But what Paul tells them is, as you gather together to take care of your needs, also remember this collection we're taking up to take back to Jerusalem. Go ahead and take it up week after week. Don't neglect it. Don't forget about it so that when I come, we don't have to hunt down all these people. We can just take this money that you've already collected and take it down to Jerusalem. That does not teach any other collection. What it teaches is make sure you set at least part of what you're using to support the saints for this other thing. And I'll take it if I'm going that direction, but we'll make sure it gets taken care of. See, the the difficulty you run into with the way that we do it today is that we have impersonalized benevolence. We have taken the fellowship out of benevolence. We've turned benevolence into an institutionalized activity where it is taken care of and out of the hands of any of the individual Christian and things just get done and nobody knows about it. How do you fellowship with Chris when he has needs if none of us even know that he has a need? 
But if Chris in our, in our gatherings comes in and says, hey, I have a need, and 15 of us jump in and say, hey, how can I help? What can I do? Don't you think Chris is much more willing to fellowship and to have partnership with people who are jumping in to help than with a bank account? Now, again, if for the purpose of expediency, it's done one way over the other, I'm not saying this is an issue of fellowship, that this is something that we have to do this particular way, because, again, I'm making a a few assumptions there, because we're not told. What I'm trying to point out to you is that what we're told is left almost wide open so that we can make sure that needs are taken care of. And if we as Christians would fellowship and partner together in life and we knew about one another's needs, we would take care of those needs. And we would grow in fellowship because of it. Encouraging is another part of fellowship. Romans chapter 15, verse 5 through 7, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Isn't that a beautiful passage? 1 Thessalonians 5.11, encourage one another and build one another up just as you're also doing. Down in verse 14, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint heart, help the weak, be patient uh, with all. Hebrews chapter 3, 13, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And then Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 we're familiar with. And let each of us consider how to stir one another up to love and good work, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. We as Christians should be an encouraging group, but we should also be an admonishing group. Uh, You read on what we read earlier from Romans 15 down in verse 14. It says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct each other. Did you hear that? Instruct each other. It doesn't say that all of that weight falls on the elders, although elders are to be able and apt to teach. And it doesn't say that that responsibility falls on the preacher or whoever stands behind the lectern. The job is given to each of us. We are to instruct each other. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. And all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. We have a responsibility as a community to instruct and correct and sometimes rebuke each other. And we as a community should expect that when we need it. And we should be willing to give it when it's needed. But notice it always happens with encouragement. We're told that we are to worship with one another. 
We already read singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs together, right? We know from many examples that they prayed together and for one another, that they supported each other's needs and benevolent. Have you ever thought about the Lord's Supper? Now, I'm going to kind of skim the surface here uh, because we have three whole months coming on breaking bread uh, and everything that entails. But I, I at least want to point this out. Turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 16 says, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a sharing, the word there is fellowship, a sharing in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a sharing in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, since we all share the one bread. I want you to put that thought together, knowing that that word sharing is the same word that is translated as fellowship in other passages. When we break the bread and when we drink the cup, we are fellowshipping together because we are one body. It is a display of our fellowship. Not just a fellowship or a sharing or a partnering with Jesus himself, but the fact that we are together all the one body of Christ. It is a display of our unity. It is a display of our partnership. It is a display of the relationships we share because of the blood of Jesus and the body that was broken. We should be in fellowship together. This is why I think Paul makes such a big deal over in chapter 11, verse 20, when he says, when you come together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. The implication there being, it should be. And then down a little further in verse 33, therefore, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, welcome, or some of your versions will say, wait for one another. The reason we wait for one another is not because, well, we just want to make sure we're doing this as efficiently as possible. The reason we wait for one another, the reason we welcome the body to come and break bread together and to share the cup together is because we are one body. And if we start taking it not as one body, we are diminishing the purpose of the Lord's Supper, which is to display our fellowship. Part of what it means to be together. Lastly, there's the concept of suffering together. 2 Corinthians 1, 5 through 7, as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken. We know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Philippians 1, 29 through 30. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. 1 Timothy 1, starting in verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of this testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us 
to a holy calling. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought to life and immortality the light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. That was a long sentence. Let me sum it up for you real fast. If we are truly the fellowship of God's people, if we are partnering in this work together, if we truly are developing depth of relationships as the Bible describes the depth of relationships we have as the one body in Christ, if we are worshiping together as a body, if we are encouraging one another and admonishing one another, instructing one another on how to live more um, firmly and devotedly to the Lord, then we will be willing to suffer together. Suffering becomes a lot easier when you have someone to go through it with you. I remember with all five of our children being born, Khan's was in some ways the worst. Well, Gibson's was the worst. I, I can tell you that story later. But one of the reasons Khan's was the worst was this. As soon as Khan was born, I got a horrendous migraine. And I had to lay down in the floor with a blanket over my head because I, I, I just I couldn't. And my wife is left there recovering all by herself me on the floor in pain. And she was all by herself because her mom had just weeks before broken her back. And her sister-in-law had just weeks before had a craniotomy that got MRSA in it and was on death's door. And she gave birth to Khan, as great as that was, alone. I remember in Florida, you were supposed to stay for two days we stayed for one. She went home and cooked a meal for her mom because her mom couldn't get up and cook and essentially had absolutely no time to rejoice in the birth of our secondborn. She had to rejoice alone. She had to suffer alone. And there just aren't good memories of that. He's still trying in a little bit, but... It's hard to be alone. The reason these early Christians could face persecution day after day and lose job and family and every other thing they had was because when they came to Christ, they didn't just gain salvation, they gained a community. And that gave them strength it gave them encouragement. It gave them instruction. It gave them something bigger than themselves to worship and to be a part of. It gave them people to spend life with. Fellowship is of utmost importance for you and me. You know, being devoted to fellowship is not merely an invitation to a potluck, which is, I think, sometimes how simply 
we misunderstand this. Being devoted to fellowship is an invitation to deeper, dependent, and devoted relationships. It is partnership for life, not a room full of acquaintances. We need to recognize what a blessing it is that we as God's people are a people. That we as God's people get to be something that is so grand and so wonderful and such a great thing to be a part of. If you're not one of God's people because you've never put on Christ in baptism, you are missing out not just on the hope of heaven, not just on the confidence that comes from belonging to a God who keeps his promises, not just on having your sin and your guilt washed away. All of those are wonderful, but you're also missing out on having a community of people who will love you no matter what, a community to which you can belong and a community to which can bring you the encouragement and hope you need for life, a community you will be willing to suffer for and suffer with as we follow Jesus. If you need the invitation to get your life right, to become a child of God, I tell you, blessings are abundant, and we'd love to share them with you. If we can baptize you into Christ, please come forward as we stand and sing this song. Thanks for listening and studying God's Word with us. We want to help you draw closer to Jesus as your Lord. If you feel some need as a result of today's message, whether that be a need to seek God's salvation or you are just in the need of prayers, please reach out to us. You can find out more about us, including contact information at edwardslakechurch.org. If you want to continue to open God's word with us, please check out other sermons on our podcast or come visit with us at Edwards Lake Church anytime you can. Thanks again and we pray God's blessings for you.